Well, good morning, Living Hope Church, and we are glad you are with us today. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. And as you do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful again for this time in worship and in your word. We ask that your spirit would descend upon our homes and our hearts and our lives and that you would be present, powerfully present. And God, as we spend time in your word, that uh, it would be your voice that is spoken and that is heard and that makes its way into our lives, changing us to look more and more like Jesus Christ all the time. God, we ask these things, this grace upon all that we do this morning. In your magnificent name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 is where we're going to start reading here in just a couple of seconds. But guys, here's where I want to begin. Our culture is suffering from a severe lack of leadership. There are good and wise leaders who are out there, but there's far too few of them. We need more than just a handful of good leaders, and we're suffering from a lack of good leadership. A lot of leadership has decayed from a position where we expect selflessness to positions and roles where we're actually not that surprised when our leaders are selfish. They've decayed from positions that are intended to defend and promote certain values, even moral values and principles, to positions that people use to promote themselves and to promote their own interest. Guys, I firmly believe that our culture needs people on every single layer or level of our culture to lead us out of the kind of bog that we are living in right now. It's going to take people with moral courage and with a vision of the kingdom of God to make this happen. And I don't just mean um, politicians and judges, the people on TV who make great big decisions. I'm talking about the people we need on every level of our culture right now to lead us out of this bog that we're living in. These kinds of leaders will be able to lead a moral revolution, a spiritual revolution for those who are willing to follow because they're going to be able to see the benefits that come with living in the way of Jesus as opposed to living according to the ways of this world. Remember something that Paul told us earlier in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 when he talks about how we live. He begins this section by saying this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He pleads with us, stop walking this way and walk a different kind of way, the way that you've actually learned in Jesus Christ. The more I spend time with this passage of scripture, this is how it strikes me. What if the church learned or continued to learn what it meant to live this kind of life, to show others around us what this life looked like, and to help lead our culture out of the brokenness that we see all around us. And I believe it is true, and it just takes a little bit of reflection. Our culture is broken in some pretty significant ways, and our culture needs people who will lead the way out of that. In this passage of scripture, it ends up addressing those 
cracks, those fissures in our culture, but it does so through sort of the, the, the other side. Um, it addresses the brokenness in our culture through the lens of, here's now how the people of God live. Here's now how we live to show the rest of the world what else is possible inside of the kingdom of God. This is the kind of life-living leadership that I believe our culture desperately needs. Now, what we're going to talk about specifically this morning in the next passage of Scripture is essentially one topic that I think is enormously important for us. We're going to talk this morning about work instead of theft. Work instead of theft. The topic of work and what that means, what work is for, what Scripture has to say about work is an enormously important question for us as followers of Jesus Christ to spend some time on right now. You and I live in some very surreal times. We're living through what is essentially a government-mandated high rate of unemployment. Many of you who are watching this, you have already been laid off. And maybe you're hunting for other work and you probably have to look for work that comes in a different field than you are accustomed to. Many of you have been furloughed and you probably don't yet know when you get to go back to work. Some of you have applied for unemployment and you've never had to do that before. Some of you who are watching this are working harder than you ever have in the rest of your life to make sure everything gets held together. This is surreal in a lot of ways. And into this kind of cultural hurricane where we really can't, we feel like we can't nail things down, we don't know what's going to happen next or how it's going to happen next. Into this hurricane, there's this political and economic idea that just continues to rise to the surface. And, and in some circles, is, as, is actually a, a pretty influential point of view. And the point of view is this. Well, work is essentially just about a paycheck. So what if we just gave you a paycheck so that you did not have to work, then everything is going to be okay. Is that biblical? Is that something that is okay scripturally? Now this leads us into uh, the larger question. Does the Bible even have that much to say about work? About what I do with my skills and my gifts and my time and how I earn a living? And what does that mean? Does scripture have much to say about that? Well, it turns out that Scripture does. So again, I think it is vital for you and me as followers of Jesus Christ to maybe set aside some of what we're hearing in the culture around us or that confusion and spend some time in Scripture and hear what it has to say about work. And in this passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, it's specifically about work instead of theft. Here are some of the ideas that are going to help guide us through our time together this morning. The first is this. We were actually created to make something of God's creation. We're going to discover that we were created by God to work. And it's part of how we reflect his image and find meaning and purpose in life. The second thought um, is maybe something we haven't thought about before, but I'm honestly hoping today to broaden our view of this idea of work. And our second thought is this. Work well done is neighbor love. 
Christ commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then the question is, well, what does that mean? How do I do that? I know that's important. Well, it turns out that work well done is part of the answer to that question. It can become love of my neighbor. And then finally, another thought is this. When we work well, we become part of God's redemptive plan. It's a fascinating thing that God chooses to do as we employ the skills that he has given us. He uses that to reveal pieces of his kingdom on earth here and now uh, to our lives, our families, and the rest of our communities. So let's read this passage of scripture. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 goes like this. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let the thief no longer steal. Now that's, that, that's really cool language in the Greek, both for thief and steal. That's the Greek word from which we get our word kleptomaniac. So someone who just continues to take something that's not theirs. It belongs to someone else and we just keep taking it. And Paul says, let the thief no longer steal. Now you may remember from last week, we mentioned that the end of chapter 4 and really part of chapter 5 has this pattern to it. Where Paul says, don't do this anymore. Instead, we need to do this. And then he gives us a reason. He says, oh, here's why. So we get that pattern again in this passage of scripture. Let the thief no longer steal. Don't, don't take, don't steal anymore. But instead, learn how to labor. Work with your hands. Do honest work. And then the why. So that then you have something to give. You have something to give those who are in need. So again, we have this very powerful formula to help us think about what it means to work as the people of God. What does scripture have to say about this? Now, in the economy of, of Paul's day... There would have been plenty of people that Paul writes to, and especially plenty of people even inside of the church, who would fall into a category that we would today probably call the working poor. Um, people who are just sort of scraping by there. They're finding jobs here and there, but it's just enough um, to kind of put their lives together. Paul is also talking to a lot of people who belong to guilds in the ancient world what we might call trade unions. These people, and especially these families who pass a trade or a skill down from, um, from parent to child, where there's a certain amount of guaranteed labor. But we also learn that if you're a Christian in this world and you're in a guild, you probably discover uh, a little bit later on in life that you may no longer be able to be a part of that guild because it includes the worship of pagan gods and demons and deities and so forth. And and so there are, there are these tensions when it just comes to work inside of Paul's world, inside of the church, inside of that economy. So there are, in the churches where Paul writes these kinds of things, there are excuses for theft, or excuses for theft would be present. But Paul won't entertain them. This is pretty straightforward. If there is someone among you who is a thief, don't let them steal anymore. Instead, there needs to be honest labor, let them work with their hands so that they can give instead of take. So Paul doesn't make excuses for theft, even in difficult situations really, because scripture creates a clear pattern for individuals, families, 
in communities. And the pattern is something like this. It is always best to work so that you can take care of others, including those who for a period of time are out, are out of work or who, because of their situation in life, can't work. It's always best for the followers of Christ, as they can and are able, to use their hands in honest labor to work to give to others. Now, before we kind of continue on in this, we need to make sure that we make a distinction here. And it's a distinction that Scripture makes. There is a clear difference between temporarily being out of work or in a situation where we're not doing um, what we do best or we're in between things. There's a distinction between that and the individual who refuses to work. So Paul makes this distinction clear when he speaks to the Thessalonians. It appears that there's a group of people inside of that church who are finding just about every excuse that they can to live in idleness instead of work. And Paul has some pretty straightforward things to say about that. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, Paul says this, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Again, that is pretty straightforward. That's pretty hardcore. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. They're not busy at work, but they have become busy bodies. So honest labor with our hands, with our skills, becomes a certain kind of antidote um, to idleness and becoming a busybody or a gossip or involved in people's lives in really unhealthy ways. Instead of that, let's be involved with each other's lives in a healthy way, meaning work. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So instead of becoming meddlesome or a burden to the rest of the Christian community, figure out how you can work with your own set of skills, with your own hands, and earn your own living. Because this is how we're going to end up taking care, with each, taking care of each other. So, the question sort of sits in front of us here this morning. What is it that Scripture has to say about work? What does Scripture mean by work? And does our work or our labor really have anything to do with our faith anyway? What's the connection between our work and our relationship with Jesus Christ? And is there one? So let's tease that out a little bit, jumping from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Now I'm going to give you a definition of what I believe to be a good description, if you will, of what Scripture means when it talks about work. As I've kind of done my own study and work on this topic inside of Scripture, this is the description that I have, I have come up with. So let me give this to you, and then we're going to play with this a little bit this morning. So, biblically speaking, work is anything meaningful we do that God equips us to do and can be done for his glory, for the help of our neighbor, and as part of the foreshadowing of his kingdom. It's anything meaningful we do that God equips us to do that we can do for his glory, for the help of our neighbor, and as foreshadowing of his kingdom. I believe this helps give us a sense of what scripture means by work and how we were made to be a part of this. Now notice that there is something missing out of that description. 
What's missing in that description is the word money or paycheck. If you ask most people to describe work or what is work to you, what does work mean to you, maybe nine times out of ten, money or a paycheck is going to be involved in that answer. A lot of people and a lot of us just naturally think, well, I work to receive a paycheck so that I can put a roof over our heads and clothes on our back and food on the table. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to make sure that we see that the biblical notion of work is broader and more significant than just the money that comes from it. So the description of work that we give, the description of work that comes out of Scripture, it includes what we would call what we do for a job. This is how we get a paycheck. This is how we give to others. This is how we pay for things. It includes that. But it's broader than that. So it includes things like parenting. Parenting fits into that really, really well. It is something that God's equipped you to do. It's meaningful work. And you can do it for the love of your neighbor, for the glory of God, for the foreshadowing of his kingdom. Taking care of kids is biblical work. It's done the way that God wants us to do. Certain kinds of even volunteer labor. We give of our time and our skill and our effort when we don't receive money in return, but we do it in such a way that God's equipped us to do it. It's meaningful. It fits into that category. So some of us at church um, have volunteered or do volunteer for an organization in town called Life Network. And it's a phenomenal phenomenal group of people. They do great work for the kingdom of God. And so time given freely there, skill given freely there, fits into the biblical notion of work. Grandparenting, the role that grandparents play in the lives of their grandkids and their families and what they offer. You see, we're broadening our understanding of what work means so that we can grab its value and make sense of it and be drawn into what God wants in our lives when it comes to work and when it comes to labor. So here are some of these thoughts about what work means. I want to make sure that we understand some of these. Firstly, is this. We were actually created to take care of God's creation. We were created to do it. Now, in some of your biblical translations, the word that is used in the book of Genesis and other places is the word steward or stewardship. We've been given a version of responsibility and ownership over God's creation. And this notion begins very early on for us inside of scripture. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 just very simply puts it like this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So in our perfect state and creation by God, God put us in his perfect garden to sit around and do nothing all day long. It's not what the text says. To work it and to keep it. That word in the ESV for keep it is a really cool verb. It also means to guard something. And so it's used through the rest of scripture of guarding the temple or guarding um, something important. So there's even a group of Levites whose job it is to keep the temple, to guard it, to make sure that what happens there is kept in order and does what it's supposed to do. So God says to Adam and Eve and to us, I'm asking you, I'm putting you here so that you can work what I've created for you and guard it and keep it. So that what happens here is exactly what was intended to happen here. And he gives us that responsibility very early on. 
And the, the language of the image of God putting us in a garden is significant. Because a garden is something that is tended, it's cultivated, attention is paid to it. When you plant a garden, you're taking something that is chaotic or something that's just growing wildly, and you remove that randomness and chaos, so to speak, and you replace it with order, and you replace it with productivity. So when you cultivate a garden, it's not just you place chaos with order, but you're headed somewhere. You're, you're creating fruits. That garden produces something. And gardens can become beautiful. So it's about becoming productive. It's about bringing beauty into God's world as well. And notice this as well, that we were created to work before the fall. So after Adam and Eve rebel against God and they're kicked out of the garden and thrown into the wilderness, they still work. But now work has become toil. In the garden, work was not out of the garden. We still work, but it's become toil. So this is important, guys. Work is not the result of the fall. Toil is a result of the fall. So think of it like this. I think this is really provocative. God did not create Adam and Eve for perfect idleness. He created them for perfect productivity and creativity. Can you imagine a scenario in which everything you put your hand to do is perfectly productive? That it does exactly what it's intended to do. The consequences are exactly right and they're perfect and full and beautiful. So it is in the garden how God created us to be. And guys, I think this is provocative as well. Maybe on the other end of scripture, in our eternal perfection with God, there is still exactly the same kind of work where the toil is taken out of it, but the work is still there, but now it's perfectly productive. It's perfectly useful. It's perfectly beautiful. Because guys, in the garden, work for human beings was a reflection of being made in the image of God. We're made in his image, and one of the things that we do is we till the garden. We keep it. We work it. We become stewards of it. In our, perfect, in our perfected state, in our creation, work is part of how we find meaning and purpose in God's creation. And even though work is different now, work is still part of how we reflect God's image in our lives, and it is still part of how we find meaning and purpose in life. So scripture begins with this powerful concept we were actually created to make something of God's creation, to become co-laborers with him, with all that he has given us. And even though it's toilsome now, we still find meaning and purpose when we're able to work the way God wants us to work. So we're created to make something of God's creation. The second thought is this. Work is how we take care of each other. Work is how communities end up taking care of themselves. What you do is part of how I live my life. What you do with your work is part of how I am able to flourish in my life. There are some things I can do, there's a lot I can't, and I rely upon you and others to do those things. 
And so when you work, you become a part of how I go about my day-to-day life and how it becomes possible and how maybe even I can flourish when you work the way that God designed you to work. And it's from raising kids to writing code to defending our country. Your work is a gift to your neighbor. So here we come back to that thought from earlier on. Your work done well becomes neighbor love. Your work done well becomes neighbor love. Now, realize, guys, that as we talk about the biblical notion of work, we're not using toilsome language, broken language, a cog in a machine, our, our nose to the grindstone. God created us to do this in a way that actually becomes a gift to our neighbors. So it can be something beautiful and powerful. We go back to this text in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. And Paul says, I need you to work. Hey, work with your hands. Do honest labor so that you have something to give. Give others. Give those who are in need. That phrase, working with your hands, in Paul's economy, the vast majority of work, that's exactly the kind of work it would have been, some form of manual labor. But it's a stand-in for the notion of the skills that God has given you, the abilities that God has given, with, given you. Find a way to work honestly like that so that you then have something to give. So when we read a passage like this, and Paul says, work well, so you have something to give those who are in need. Our first thought is, um, I work and I receive a paycheck in exchange for my work. I use that paycheck to pay for a bunch of things that are necessary or important or things that I want. And then maybe I have some left over that I can give uh, to the church or to a friend or a family member who's in need. I just literally give money that I have to other people who might need money for a period of time. And there is certainly biblical truth to that. And there's biblical examples of exactly that sort of thing. That whatever sort of um, uh, level of, of wealth or material goods I'm able to accumulate in my life, I hold those with an open hand. So that if someone needs something that I have, I'm able to actually do that. So we work so that we have something to give. But again this morning... I'm interested in expanding the way that we see this. Again, it's not just I work, I get money, and I give some of it away. What if you also have skills to give your neighbor? Your neighbor needs certain things done. You're able to do them. And so when you work and you use the skills that God has given you, you're giving your neighbor something that they need, and it's a skill. All right, so a lot of you know that um, I personally am in desperate need of skilled baristas. Um, I enjoy a good cup of coffee, and I don't enjoy bad cups of coffee. And so I am willing to slide money across the table to get a good cup of coffee. So when I do that, think about that exchange for a second. I take my money and I give it to the cashier, and that cashier or barista then hands me a cup of coffee. I've exchanged money for coffee. That's true. I have also been willing to exchange money for their skill. They can do something. They have access to things, to an ability that maybe I don't have. And because they're willing to use that skill, we can make this exchange. They have something to give me in how they work. It's not just money, but it's actually how they work. There's very little I can do to fix the cars 
that I have. So I need skilled and honest car mechanics, and I'm willing to make an exchange for what they can give me. And they're willing to make that same exchange as well. Someone who uh, codes, builds websites, databases. I can't do very much of that, but someone else can, and I'm willing to make an exchange for that skill. Someone who can plumb my home or, or fix my electrical. I, if someone is willing to employ that skill, it's something that they can give me with what they do, right? So again, it's not just about money. It's what God has actually enabled us to do with our hands, with our skills. Now, if we see work like this, I hope it comes even clearer to us the flip side of that coin. When Paul says, if there's a thief among you, don't let them steal anymore. Because if I am stealing, I am withholding my skills, which means I am not working to give anything to anyone. Instead, I'm simply living by taking from other people. So here, biblically, even theologically, maybe we get a better sense for why Paul is so straightforward when he tells the Thessalonians in that passage we read earlier, if someone refuses to use the skills God has given them to give to other people, they shouldn't eat. Because now they've just become someone who takes and they're misusing the gifts that God has given them. What Paul wants the follower of Jesus Christ to do is to learn how to give through the skills and the work that God has given them. The book of Deuteronomy actually has a lot to say. It's kind of surprising, but it has a lot to say about this relationship between labor and the fruits of our labor and the health of our community. One particular chapter is Deuteronomy chapter 26. I, I kind of love how the story is told there. That when you pull the harvest in, you've done your work and you've, uh, you've raised your flock or you've raised um, you, you know, the, the grain that you've grown and so forth. The first thing you do with that, you take your first fruits and you give it to the Levites. You give it to the facilitation of worship among you. And then you give to the sojourner, the widow, and the orphan, the people in your culture who don't have access to the same work that you do, or life is harder for them than it is for you, give to them out of your abundance. And it's more than that. Then the text says stuff like this. Then take the rest of your abundance, gather your household and your friends around you, and feast. I just, I love that step because scripture is saying, because of your labor, you recognize the abundance that God has given you and then you share in that abundance. It's a story of being able to give because we make use of the skills that God has given us. We recognize the abundance that God has given us. So then we turn around and we're able to give to those who are in need. We're even, we're even able to feast with the rest of our household and our community because of what God has done. It's just a really beautiful picture. So guys, God made you to love your neighbor through your work, which is why it's so important that Paul says, if there's a thief among you, don't let it happen anymore. They need to learn a different way of life. And we need to walk through this in a very different kind of way. So work is how a community takes care of itself. Here's another thought. Work makes me part of something meaningful and larger than myself. I actually become a part of something larger and more meaningful than just my own individual existence or abilities. We discover something really cool 
early in Scripture about God's relationship with work or with workmanship. We learn that God actually fills work with his spirit. That's, that's a really cool thought, that, that if we work well the way that God's designed us to, in ways that can glorify him, the ways that we talked about earlier, that God actually fills our labor with his spirit. In Exodus chapter 31, we get a really curious passage. The design of the tabernacle um, has been given to Moses, and the tabernacle is this elaborate, beautiful thing with all of these pictures and colors sewn in and built in, um, and these silver things and fabric. It's, it's this beautiful thing that's created. And so then God talks to Moses in Exodus chapter 31, the first three verses, and he says this, the Lord says to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. You go on to the next few verses, and there's a second guy of whom the same thing is said. And what they do is they weave textiles. They, they're artists. They're, they're, they're craftsmen. And to my knowledge... This is the first place in Scripture where someone is described as being filled with the Spirit of God. It's not a prophet. It's not a king. It's an artist. It's someone who adds something to the beauty of God's creation. You see, when we do this, we become part of how God is working. We can actually engage with God's divine work here on earth. So guys, we don't need to be cogs in a machine if we learn how to be cells in a body. A cog in a machine is impersonal, it's mechanical, it can be replaced if it's broken. A cell, right, the image is that it's part of the body, it's something living, and even though it just sort of does this one job in one part of the body, it's part of the health of the entire organism. So we become part of the body of Christ, we become part of what God is doing. So guys, working the way that God created us to work means that we become part of how God is unfolding his kingdom here on earth. And this is our final thought about work. I do believe it is true that our work well done foreshadows the kingdom of God here on earth. And here, hopefully, we begin to see how it is that followers of Jesus Christ can lead the world out of an enormously confused and fuzzy understanding of what work is and, and, and what it does for us. If we understand the biblical pattern, if we understand what it means for God to, to put us in these places where we use our skills for love of neighbor and the glory of God and all these things, we can actually lead the way in something completely different for the world around us. Working is becoming part of what God created me to be. It's part of how God created me to be a part of how my neighbor flourishes, how they can do well, and we become part of God's plan. A familiar passage of Scripture is in Jeremiah chapter 29. God's people have been taken off into exile into Babylon. Their hope is that they'll very quickly be taken back to Jerusalem, back to Judah, back to home. So God writes the exiles a letter in Jeremiah 29. And the basic thrust of the letter is, don't be in a rush. 
you're going to be here for a little while. So here's what I want you to do. So listen to part of this letter, Jeremiah 29, verses 5 through 7. It goes like this. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply here and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. If the people of God work the way that God designed them to and in honor to God and in glory to God, God tells his people, even in a pagan city, in a pagan nation, if you do that well, it becomes their welfare. And then you're going to find your welfare there also. If we work in such a way that they can flourish, then we're going to flourish also. Plant trees, and in a few years they'll begin to bear produce. Don't just sit and wait, but work and do it well and build families and raise godly families, right? We become a part of the kingdom of God. So guys, in our work, we are not left alone to fend for ourselves. We're not just sort of scraping together an existence uh, to get to retirement and then to get to death. But we are actually co-laborers in God's creation. We are children of God in his family. We are image bearers. And we're living out what it means to be image bearers when we work well. So God is with us in our work. God chooses to make use of what we do to make his name known to the people around us, to our community and to our world. God created us to work so that we can give our neighbors the benefit of our skills and abilities and give them even the fruits of our labors as well. So guys, Paul is clear. The people of God are not designed to live in such a way that we just take from other people. If we're able to work and should work, the people of God don't live taking. They live doing what God created them to do. And in turn, they learn to give. They learn to show as a gift what God wants to do among us. We become part of God's redemptive plan, part of his glory being known here on earth, part of the kingdom of God. Guys, your work is not something dull and boring and simple, but it can actually be full of the power and the might and the work of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask your comfort and insight and grace upon everyone this morning. The fathers, we look at something in Scripture that maybe we don't think about that often. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate our hearts and minds and that you would give us the kind of insight that we need to connect the dots in what you've given us to do with our families, with our skills, with our work, with, Lord, the work of your kingdom with the kind of flourishing and fruitfulness that you want to bring to bear. What is divinely productive? What is divinely beautiful in the work that we do and the families that we have and the people that we interact with? Help us to see this with your eyes in a new way today. We ask this, Father, in your magnificent name. Amen.